3: PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1 Welcome to Mr. Apex Podcast. I'm your host Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanner. So, let's be friends. On this episode, we've got a little bit of a mixed bag. A little bit later in about half an hour or so, we're going to talk some more about the Andretti situation and the potential danger that F1 might have put themselves in and explore some of the next possible steps. For that, we have a couple of familiar voices. You'll know Peter Wright from Digital Law, who has joined us here many times before on legal matters, and his partner, Dr. Heather, who is a tech law expert as well. And they were both recently judges for F1 in schools. So we get to hear about that too. But I also want to focus on some of the, the launches, which I think it's fair to say have received a mixed reaction, and I'll have Christina Lee Mace joining me for that. And but at the end of the show, Christina will be the latest person that I want you to meet as part of our Meet the Panel. And you are going to get to want to know, Christina, because she is due to become a big force in the F1 space. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves and our fluffier halves. We, wait, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Okay, before we get into then the legal stuff, let's catch up with the launches. And we've got Christina Lee Mace with us. Hey, Macy, how's it going?
0: It's going pretty well. It is early in the morning for me. It is 10 a.m., but I have my coffee. I have my little pastry that I've eaten up and I'm good and ready to go.
3: Yeah, I'm not a morning person. Don't try and get me podcasting at 10 a.m. That's when uh, Uncle Steve and Christian wanted to record the F1 broadcasting episode and I had to haggle that to 11 o'clock. Who, 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 who's coherent at 10? You are a, a freak.
0: Definitely a little bit. Uh, 6 a.m. is our normal wake up time. And I say R because that's when Squeaks McGee wants to get up. And as everybody knows at this point, my life is dictated by his needs, his desires. And I have absolutely no problem with that. Because who could say no to that fluffy little face?
3: Uh, cer- certainly not uh, you or, or me. I've got three fluffy faces here at home. So I understand. So pretty Colours. Is that all we care about with the F1 launches? What what are they about? Because I have to say I've never I've never heard so much outrage and opinions about F one launch season. Back in the olden days, in the nineties, it used to be much more of a show. You would have Lewis Hamilton on a, a zip wire going across going across the McLaren stage. That kind of thing just doesn't seem to happen now.
0: And that's really disappointing. I completely agree that yes, it is a much more corporate event now, and that's really unfortunate. Launches could be an absolutely fantastic way to get your fans really excited for the season. And to not use it for that is a big oversight. And I think the biggest disappointment though just comes from the way teams set up expectations. Please note that barely anybody is criticizing Haas for their launch or even their livery because we know it is going to be a post. It is going to be a video that they're going to put up this date, that time. We'll get to see what it is and then it's done with. But then you have a team like Alpine that went out of their way for close to three weeks because they started this campaign at the same time as McLaren launched their livery of the pink camo. And it turns out that they weren't launching a pink camo livery. They were literally just being like, ah, ah, ah guess what's underneath this pink camo? And everyone's sitting there being like, you really did not think this through. You really thought that people would think, oh, that's that's a cover on top of the livery and we'll get to see the real one underneath. No, no, that's not that is not what people were expecting. And everybody is justifiably
3: disappointed. Yeah. So I've got a quite a quite a lot of like general talking points about what we want from liveries, what's been going on with all the exposed carbon. But actually the Alpine launch seems to summarize a lot of people's feelings. So that's a good a place as any to start. And like nearly universally the covers went back and the internet exploded i was having a brunch on my own while i was watching it on my headphones and i just couldn't help it but throw my arms up in the air in the middle of this cafeteria because i went i can't i just can't believe it it's all black but that it wouldn't matter so much had the whole alpine you know team crew designers had all been posting about how outrageous it was going to be, how bold it was going to be, you know how hard and difficult it was to put together everyone's expectations were so high, and like I said, like the pink camo, it looked kind of like a designer handbag, what they were teasing, so I was expecting something really bold and radical, and yeah the bits that were painted, the bits that did have livery on them, only you know, amazingly well designed. you know we can talk a bit about their design team that you know there's amazing people there, and I, you know I've worked with one of them. Briefly, but you know, they're great, but they were given nothing to work with. why Why build it up so much to then give us a largely carbon shell?
0: It very much feels like one of those moments where the marketing department just wasn't communicated properly with, which again is very unfortunate. You're working with a team of how many thousands of people you have to make sure that everybody is on the same page, and in this case, they really didn't and for me, the most disappointing part of that alpine livery is that, yes. When you look up close at the details, it is gorgeous. You have those multi-toned blues and pinks, the puzzle piece almost like just Pantone vibe to it. It is very, very cool. But then you realize that it's barely covering the side pod. Most of it is covered up by the BWT massive logo. And you get really disappointed, especially when you see how it looks covering the whole back end of their endurance Cars, especially when you see it going up the side of the shirts that you're going to get to buy as a fan. You see all of these places where it could have had such potential, and it makes you incredibly disappointed and sad because this is a moment where it could have looked so beautiful, so cool. I wouldn't, I would have been okay with the black base and these pops and accents of colors if it felt like it was pops and accents, but realistically, it was just too little give me five to ten percent more of that pattern and even then it would have been acceptable and i would have been so happy with that livery it just was it's infuriating when it is so close to being gorgeous and just barely misses the mark
3: i there are some angles actually if you look it up online alpine 2024 livery there's some angles where it looks entirely black and you can just see the b and the w and and i fear that on camera it is going to look entirely black now they are not by any means, the only ones that have, have done this. But I think the, the other ones that have got exposed carbon, McLaren at stake, the, the, of the ones that we've, we've really seen so far, the, the accent really pops. Whereas this car, the livery, the detail, like you said, it is beautiful, but none of it stands out and pops. So I think Alpine might have borne the brunt of this creeping evolution of bare carbon. So in a way, I feel a little bit bad for, for Alpine. Because they've, they feel like, it feels like they've, the people working on it have put their hearts and souls into it. Uh, but they've been given such a small box to work in that they were thrown a hospital pass. So a combination of not managing expectations and then F1 just getting fed up of the bare carbon really sent the internet into a, into a tiz. So you know, they, they launched their livery and the full reaction from that is the internet calling for regulation change. To, to make sure this n- can never happen again, which feels slightly unfair. But it's the same as when when I uh, when I shaved my beard because I accidentally took the guard off. So I shaved off all my facial hair. So I thought I may as well just get rid of all of it. And then the family's reaction to that was they start talking about how we can assess our diet because my face is too round. You know, they were talking about different shopping habits they could do. Maybe, maybe we should go vegan. Anything to avoid dad's horrible round face again. So that and so I know how bad that felt. And I and I do feel for, for the Alpine team that that's the reaction it got.
0: Definitely. And it brings me to a kind of a big question about the design of the liveries overall. I wonder how many of them view their renders and their sketches from a far distance, because a lot of the times you look at it and you're like, this is really cool and gorgeous up close. But the majority of the time, we're not seeing these cars up close. We are seeing them in a broadcast going really, really fast. The cameras are struggling to catch up with them. We're seeing them in this mass pack of other cars. And I feel like teams really do need to, if they're not already doing this, and if they are, they need to do a better job at it, but considering what does your car look like when it's on track, when it's on top of black asphalt and against other cars. The environment where you're viewing a piece of artwork is critical.
3: And on stage... Obviously, they've got the they've got the capacity to control the staging you know I know they were talking about that and the lighting really complemented it so you had pink uh pink lighting on one side and blue on the other and it just accentuated all of that but you're not gonna get that on the racetrack and it's gonna it really does feel like there's gonna be about 10 12 cars that are gonna look broadly similar
0: and then you had a you took a look at someone like Steak, where they went too far with the monochromatic lighting, where they had the green flooring, the green background colors, and you looked at the car with the green swipes along the side, the l- nice line work, and you just thought to yourself, That is way too green. That is way too bright. Really? But then but then you look ah. at the pictures well, compared to the pictures of it on its own against a black background, and then it felt a lot more balanced. It did not feel like this overpowering amount of neon green but when you put the bright high contrast green and black car on top of a neon lit green floor and bright splotchy colored green background of course it looks overpowering you've put way too much green on it and haven't let the car's livery on its own shine through
3: i I have to say okay before we just move on from from alpine too quickly Again, I have sympathy with them, but I, do, I don't I do think that is a great racing livery. It's a beautifully constructed livery. It's not a great l- racing livery. And then when they did the reveal for the pink one, and they did the whole countdown, and then they pulled the sheet aside, and even from the angle they were doing it, it didn't look any different, because I hadn't had enough time to absorb the blue one and find the bits of blue. Then they revealed the pink one, also broadly black, and it was like Derek Zoolander you know, doing his magnum pose and I was sitting there go, Am I the only one? Am I the only one who sees it's the same it's the same pose? So yeah, a little bit un- a little bit unfortunate with, with Alpine. Had they been the only car to go down that mostly carbon uh, stretch, say that car had appeared in twenty eighteen. We might be looking at that as a radical different thing and we could be it could be seen completely differently. Steak, is that that's the one you said with the green, isn't it? Stake with the green, who are now Sauber.
0: Sauber. I think
3: they've got it bob on. So that that Mm -hmm. disgusting green (laughs) is actually quite a... It's a very common... It's like a radioactive green. It's very common in racing. So a lot Mm -hmm. of drivers will will opt for that very bold, striking green that looks like it could have come out of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something like that. The slime.
0: Yeah.
3: And I think you're right. It's going to look way better on track. It's distinctive. You go to a go-kart track and there'll be two or three people in those kind of those colours, with that green boldly on on the black sticking out. And, and actually, it's a shame that Stake's probably not going to be able to use their name and that everything else is a bit of a disaster because I think their media team have got so much stuff right. When you talk about low expectations, we didn't hear anything about it in the lead-up to it. And there was one brilliant piece of PR where Bottas was looking bored, sat on a stage, and he had to be convinced to go and, can you help us launch the car, Valtteri? And he sort of went up to it and sort of reluctantly... Pointed at it in a Kimi Räikkönen meme way, and I just thought you know stuff like that was just hilarious. And they had both drivers in like classical period portraits, like old family portrait type styles. Like their that their whole launch that was just Bob on expectation management, not taking themselves too seriously, being bold. I loved all of that.
0: No, their launch was absolutely spectacular. It was a well put together event. The Cathedral like setting that they were in, and that contrast with the neon modern car. I will say sometimes I was being reminded of kind of being in a trippy vampire movie, like a vampire that really likes EDM, but I wasn't mad about it. I was like, this is a fun, high contrast concept. And their media team did a fantastic job. They continued to have gorgeous artwork being put out week to week of their drivers, their team, their car. The part that I don't like about their livery is that. Both wings look like they were just dipped in the neon green paint, whereas the rest of the car has this gorgeous line work. And I just would have loved for the line work to continue on the wings instead of them being this dip-dyed thing. And their race suits. I don't know if it's oh, the yeah. lighting,
1: yeah. <laughs> but
0: that green looks so flat. It looks like the green that you have um, in your shamrock shake at McDonald's. Like, it kind of looks like a McDonald's employee's limited edition, middle of March uniform, which I don't think is what they want to go for. And I'm praying, hoping that it was just that that lighting was horrendous. I'm hoping for that because if not everything else, I really, really liked. I love, I like green. I don't know if that's obvious or not, but I really like green. I like neon. I like that green. I like the contrast that it has with the bare carbon fiber. Yeah, but I those thought, race boots yeah. are unfortunate, especially because it doesn't continue the line work concept that's on the car. It's just neon green sleeves.
3: So full disclosure, I have no idea what you're talking about when you say line work oh. and this kind of. Okay, so that's like well out of my purview. So I'm glad you're here to talk about that side of it. And when it comes to colors and liveries, I'm I'm, I'm surprised that I care this much. I didn't realize I had an opinion on what makes an F1 livery an F1 livery. Until you started to take them away from me, and then suddenly I'm I'm missing distinctive ones from from the '80s, the red and white of the the McLaren, you know, even the cr- chrome McLaren or the papaya McLaren. I do know other teams; they're just you know, one of my favourites. But you know, the Williams Rothman, I know it's associated with tobacco, but they all were back then. Uh, yeah, the John Player Special Lotus. I mean, th- you know, these classic liveries, the Ferrari red. That, that is, to me, a fundamental part of, of Formula One and racing. So, you know, say so what do we want a livery to be? I don't particularly need it to be beautiful. I don't need it to star on the cover of GQ magazine. I need it to be distinctive and part of your identity.
0: Exactly. And I think what a lot of teams are also forgetting is that not everyone's going to understand aerodynamics. Not everyone's going to care about the psychology of the drivers, the team dynamics, the politics. Not everyone's going to care about those nitty-gritty details. But one thing that everybody can understand is a cool, fast-looking car. It is one of those unifying topics that no matter your age, if it's a young fan or an older fan, if it's somebody that has. An artiste's mind, or that doesn't, and just understands, hey, pretty colors. It doesn't matter. It is a topic that everybody can talk about. It is a great community builder, and to not take full advantage of that is very short-sighted.
3: And like, say, you don't even have to love the livery. So the Red Bull livery, for example, I don't think there's. I don't think that's a particularly special livery apart from they were the first ones to really use that matte black, which looked super cool. But when you look back, you know, to to F one. In fifty years' time that's still going to be an iconic identifier isn't it and, and and I think like if you look at driver's helmets, the same thing has happened where the the goodness of the design or the goochiness of the design as I would call it is more important than it being an identifying factor so we we could play a game here where we we play the game who or what was the best ever f1 helmet design for example, and the game would consist of someone asking that and someone else saying. Graham Hill slash Damon Hill. And then the game would be over because that's the best helmet design ever. But, you know, you look at those kind of helmets or or David Coulthard with his St. Andrew's cross and Lewis Hamilton, a distinctive yellow. Actually, Lewis Hamilton purple is probably as iconic. But you don't seem to have that anymore. If you look up and down the grid, Norris changes his helmet every five minutes. I mean, Russell, I hope Russell sticks with the electric blue. That could truly be an F1 classic. But more and more, you see these very high concept designs that that really don't don't do the job they're intended for.
0: Exactly. So much of the helmets is about being your own personal identity. And it's the one way that fans get to see you be you. The car is for the team. The livery is for the team. Your race suit is for the team. And as a driver, your helmet is all you've got. I will say the one driver that I think is doing a great job of... Towing the line of both almost is Valtteri Botas because he actually has the same artist do his concept helmets every single time. I think it's his girlfriend, Tiffany Cromwell. And so you can tell that they're the same art style each and every time. So even though they're a different helmet and a different pattern, it is still that same artist work. It's like the same cartoon style, which that's a great way to tie it all together. Even though Norris changes his helmets quite frequently, a lot of the times he still keeps that central LN4 logo with the four quadrant swirl kind of going around it. And even Gasly, for example, like he constantly has the number 10 built into his helmet. You see drivers making the effort, which I appreciate. But again, I do think that if they're going to be changing their helmets, doing these fun concepts, I do think they have to go to the Botas route of having one central artists, someone who has that visionary mind, keep it all cohesive and keep that one brand identity. Because again, it is so much more satisfying to collect those mini helmets if it is a visible collection, as opposed to something a bit more eclectic.
3: So I just looked up Valtteri Bottas' helmets there and instantly I go, oh yeah, no, no, that is his his look. And then the first one I saw as well was uh, the Mika Hakkinen tribute one. And you go, Mika Hakkinen. That is another, you know, classic. Fernando Alonso. You used to have that, you know, really distinctive yellow and 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 pale blue. And then you've got things like the the Verstappen, uh, sorry, the Vettel German flag. And then later with the rainbow helmet as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I do. I, I liked really when they said limited helmet changes. I know a lot of people want them to be able to come up with special novelty helmets every other race. But but that that to me is is as important as the the team identity so yeah i'm a little bit surprised i surprised myself how much i I cared about these team liveries um so but it is launch season and that's primarily all we can get out of it i did notice some people trying to do some some aero and concept analysis on cars that are never going to race and i think it's really worth doing that so we may as well talk about the colors
0: yeah pretty much colors are pretty colors are nice and they
3: stand out so we're always looking up you know, grids. Uh, from say 2013 2014 uh, ignore the noses of the 2014 cars uh, and and definitely the grids were much more distinctive there but they haven't they haven't all got it bad they haven't all done it wrong uh, i suppose the haas launch is probably the the least controversial out of any of them the haas looked broadly as we would think it was going to look i think most notably for me is the 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 attitude of the new team principal, um, Aio, uh, Aio. I beg your pardon. I have not actually heard this said out loud, but it's Kamatsu. Uh, we we know him from the Drive to Survive series, but he is being so defeatist. It's crazy. So how do you rate your chances? Oh, not good. You know, you go well. Okay, well, from the will you get off the back of the grid? Well, no. It's more how close to the back of the grid we can get. It's those kind of things. So he is really either being very, very honest. Or doing a masterstroke in expectation management.
0: Quite frankly, I think he just doesn't have a clue how it's going to go any more than we do. I that's, that's how I would feel as a team principal, inheriting a team that just didn't put a lot of effort into progress. And again, you don't know how a car is going to run until it hits the track. So I feel like it's him managing not just the public expectations, but also the team expectations of just saying, this is a rebuilding year. And that's fine. it is what it is. Sometimes it's not being pessimistic. sometimes it's just acknowledging you are st- on step one of a really big ladder. Well, I think he could, only up from here
3: yeah, I mean he could turn around and say uh, if if it was looking good, then I wouldn't be here talking to you. It would be Gunter Steiner talking to you. so obviously things have not got work gone well. You know, someone had to die or things had to go badly for for me to be here. What's interesting with the Haas livery is it looks broadly like a Haas car, but people aren't didn't go up in arms and get upset about that. And that might be because it was only a render. So how much of the black, which looks like shiny black in the launch render, how much of that is carbon? Because there's an awful lot of black on there. And if a lot of that is exposed carbon, it's going to look broadly like a slightly different shade Alpine.
0: 100%. I do think that it's mostly carbon fibre.
3: I have Dang found it. a shot that does look like it's rendered a bit of the carbon fiber, but it's from a it's definitely from at least a less kind of obvious angle on that that classic shot where it's pointing 45 degrees p- past you sort of thing. And you're looking at the front left wheel. Everything looks super shiny. So I think they've tried to hide the amount of carbon a little bit in that in that launch.
0: They're trying to be sneaky about it, which you know what? It's hoss, It's fine. If we don't notice them, I think that's to their advantage this year. If we're not talking about them, that's to their advantage. If they're just puttering around at the back of the grid rebuilding, that's fine. I will say, though, I got sent by MoneyGram and Haas a little one of those little knit. I don't know if it's Nico. I don't know if it's Kevin. But I got sent one of the little knit Haas ornaments. But now the poor little guy is dressed in last year's race suit. He's in last season's threads. I can't have that. No. They have a mostly black race suit now. I need to either, you know, get crocheting and knit him a new little suit or they need to send me an updated little little sweater for him cuz he just he can't be looking out of season.
3: Well, now I don't trust your now I don't trust your heart's opinion knowing that you've got bungs. <laughs> And, and it's a constant, consistent message I've sent out to all tracks and all teams that I am I'm very up, much up for sale. So if if I won't tell the audience if someone has sent me a bung or paddock passes or merch, there will be signs. I will probably wear it. And so if I start saying you know things like that, like, actually, there's no such thing as a pay driver. They're all technically pay drivers. If I start making rubbish arguments like that, then you'll know I've been bought. And And I, and I feel like I've been honest so i don't think it's going to be too much of a too much of an issue uh, okay so moving on from our, from Haas a little bit then you were the only person in the world or on our, on our team that would have been up at the time that uh, v no i'm not doing it that toro visa cash app launched because you are in canada you're in vancouver and we'll find mm-hmm. out all details about this in a in a little while after the meet the panel are you okay to hang around uh, after the legal law bit to, for for your meet the panel bit don't worry it's a pre record it'll be instant but we'll pretend
0: absolutely for you spanners i will hang out Ooh-hoo. all day long
3: and you had to hang out to stay up even for the the visa cash app team launch because even for you it was late well, why why launch it in vegas at 10 p.m.
0: so my understanding is that all of the big wigs for visa cash app were in vegas For Super Bowl events. Oh, okay. So, in order to give the bigwigs a party, they hosted it in Vegas. That is my my general understanding of the logic behind why would you go to Vegas during the Super Bowl week when you have nothing to do with the Super Bowl. That's why. And uh, luckily for me, I am actually in the same time zone as Vegas. So, it was, you know, I watched it and then I promptly went to bed. uh, And... I know a lot of people are excited about this livery. It actually has colour and it reminds them of the Toro Rosso car. Yeah, it's
3: basically identical.
0: I did not like that. Why? I think that people thinking, oh my goodness, it has colour is giving them props for the bare minimum.
3: The expectation frankly, was so low. I even said just, to Summers last night, I said, why would I stay up? or Why would I wake up early to watch a, you know, the reveal of a black car with a bit of electric blue on it?
0: Mm-hmm. Again, don't give people accolades for doing the bare minimum of putting color on their car. If they're going to put color in their car, it has to be – it still has to be well done. And in my opinion, them continuously saying this is going to be a new era, it's a new moment, it is a different time in the name of this team, why would you bring back an old livery? Why wouldn't you be trying to establish a unique brand identity For this new era, instead of going and leaning back on something that already existed, if you want that to be a retro livery that you run for nostalgia's sake at the Italian races, yes, that is brilliant. That is a smart move. Go do it. But I was hoping for A, something distinctive, and B, the color pattern on this car, it does look like it's from the early 2000s or the 90s, like it looks like a retro vintage car, which just isn't where we're at right now. So I I was disappointed by it. It just was not what I wanted to see, and people are applauding them for just copy pasting something that they know people loved.
3: Mm, yeah, I get your points, but also hard disagree because I do I like it for that reason because that Toro Rosso livery that they're copying that it is clearly inspired by. You know, they've even got very similar kind of bulls. Oh, there is a bull on the engine cover, so it is like to me that was one of the most banging liveries of all time it was brilliant um you know identity aside just from pure bold kind of stand design uh, kind of almost like a chrome finish if my memory served me correctly uh, back then so i think if that's half as striking on track then uh, then i'm happy to me that's identity easy the 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 sort of bright blue and uh, with a white sash in the middle that's visa cash app i know that I'm going to see them on track. To me, that's a proper race car livery. I'm not finding anything to be upset about. And yes, after the LP, it was the best one to follow. So as a comedian, you know, you want to follow someone who's died on stage. You don't want to follow someone who's had them rolling around. So yes, you're right. They had a low bar, but I think they've hit it.
0: Definitely. The other thing I, the other reason I do think I'm disappointed is that in one of their promo clips where they had that rendered sheet over top of the form of a car and it was these blues and purples and slightly shimmery and it was leaning more into the cash app branding where it had again the blues and the purples but sometimes this like monochromatic finish to it i was hoping that they would lean into that color scheme you can still have that base of blue for for visa and you can still do very much a call back to it being toro rosso but i was hoping that we would get that, that kind of finish that they were teasing in that specific clip. Again, managing expectations. I'm glad people like it. I'm glad that people love Toro so still and that it's, I'm glad people like it. But I, I was disappointed. I was hoping for something more original. I was hoping for something new. They were teasing that it was going to be something new, that this is a new era. And when you don't give me that, I'm disappointed.
3: And whenever a team has white race suits, like my always laundry is my first thought, or maybe just as a dad, you know, with sports kit and stuff. When, you know, if the kids are like, oh, look, you know, our new PE kit at the new school, is it's all white. Think, oh, jeez. Well, what's the first lesson? Oh, rugby, is it? Yeah, of course, of course it is. Uh, let's see, we've got two left, I think Williams and McLaren that have launched. So the Williams, again, is a, a render and they might fall into the trap of looking quite dull as well. But... This sort of shows if you're going to go quite carbony, it's very important to make sure that the bits that that are there pop. So you've got the steak and and McLaren method with the very bright colours. It is a bit dull coloured, but at least they've got the full Williams blue on the nose. A lot of the side parties of the blue. And then they've got the brilliant Duracell battery air intake as well. So it is on that side of the, oh, come on, come on with the carbon. But it's not the worst out there.
0: Exactly. With Williams, the first time I saw the car, all I wanted was to see it in other lighting. Because again, like you said, there's not a high contrast between that blue and the black, which means in certain lightings, it might just look black. That is that is a big concern I have, is that you can't tell the difference of where it's blue and where it's black. And on track, that's kind of important to be able to tell which car you're looking at. I need to see it in different lighting. I yeah. need to see if they tested what it's going to look like on a racetrack because I.
3: What I'm year not happy was it? What one. year was it? I think it might have been 2020 or 21. It's where it was one of the silver it could have been 22 then. The Mercedes and the Aston Martin looked completely different at launch, but then you couldn't tell the difference between them on track. They looked nearly identical. And, and this is the fear that you're going to have Haas, Williams, uh, and um, Alpine. At least we haven't seen the rest of them, you know, looking. And, and if the camera doesn't pick up the bright steak colours very well or the bright McLaren colours very well. Yeah, they could. They could all end up looking uh, identical. Uh, speaking of expectation management, James Vowles was, uh, was <laughs> fantastic. It, he's a genius. They're going, oh, you know, how, how do you think you're going to do? Well, let me tell you, as part of our bold new vision, we've written off. 2023, 2024, and 2025. Like we and this is a good thing because I've told them there's no rules. I-, I can get with that. No rules. Tear everything up when pushing for 2026. But that lad, he has bought himself like three unquestionable years. No, it's all part of the, the grand plan. Like that's brilliant. Like I thought Stella was good at this kind of thing, but Val's genius level. Do not judge me for three years. And we and we won't. Because we all love James Vowles.
0: It's true. If someone wants to play Taylor Swift's mastermind at this point, they're more than welcome to. Because I do feel that that's what James Vowles is going for. He is playing the game. He's doing so masterfully. He's telling us, he's at least seeming transparent. Whatever he's telling this team behind those doors, obviously we don't know. But he's just being clear, being honest. He's not playing any mind games. I mean, he is definitely playing mind games. Like We know that. He's a very smart man, but it doesn't feel like he's playing us, which is kind of the key. You know that Toto, you know that Christian are duplicitous. You know that they're going to tell you one thing and mean something completely different. But with James, you do feel like he's being honest. And that's brilliant. That's amazing. It is so comforting. People are going to eat that up. People are going to love cheering for Williams more than they already do. It's fantastic. And his Voice is so soothing. If he wants to read those, like, go to bed stories, he absolutely can. Uh, and I think that would be a brilliant thing for the Williams media team to do. Get James uh, to narrate some stories. Please. I think
3: it was, uh, at the end of last season, I picked him as my deathbed voice. It's like if he just calmly tells me, don't worry, you know, we're, gonna mo- we're moving on to the next realm. I'll be like, OK, I, I trust you, James, lifelong atheist. But if you say so, like I- I'm-, I'm all on board. Uh, so, yeah, Williams, very popular team as well. So a lot of people wishing them well. Uh, expectation management, very important. No one wants to be the Toto Wolf. Everyone has a target on their back. You know, no one wants to kind of repeat that. And then, you know, two years of a, two years of a dud. So uh, McLaren, where, where do we sit on the McLaren launch? They surprised everyone.
0: That was so good. Oh, my goodness. The, the clearing out of the social media, the dark profile picture, all of it top to bottom was brilliant. And the fact that they did it quite quickly, it was very well paced. You know, unlike Alpine, where they dragged out this oh
3: my god teasing. Anyway, forgot how angry I was about that. I don't want to see the whack thing. Tell me when the that. Tell me when the endurance car launches. I I might choose to, but don't 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 circus act me. You know what? On the side of the street where they go, they do the big build up to it, and before I saw my arm off, which is the big. I'm going to juggle soap bubbles first. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous.
0: Yeah. It did. But McLaren didn't make me angry. McLaren, no. I was intrigued. I knew something was coming. I was like, what is it? What are you going to do? Like, tell me, tell me. And then they did it. I don't think anybody expected it to be the full car reveal. I think that I don't even remember what we were expecting at this point. I don't think any of us had even thought it through of what they were doing. You just knew they were doing something. And then all of a sudden they were like, hey, here's a car. And it, I think it was also very smart because they probably knew ahead of time that. How many cars would have a lot of carbon fiber? And they were doing the exact same thing. But by making this fantastic big production fun thing about it, by having themselves be first, it's fantastic. Anytime you have a long lineup of things like this happening, people are going to remember what came first because it's their first impression, the first thing that they have in their mind. And they're going to remember what came last because it's the freshest. And them taking that and running with it and going, you know what? Even if we have about the same percentage of carbon as everybody else, people will forgive us for it because we gave them something to be excited about. And again, this was on social media. This was accessible to everybody. Fans could comment on all these videos. Fans could speculate together. It wasn't just something that was for their corporate partners, which I'm sure their launch on the 14th is going to be much more, you know, catered to, but they still gave fans, the general public, something they could dig into, which is the best.
3: And even though there's a, a lot of carbon on there, you do have the whole nose in a big, bright colour, the whole wing in a big, bright colour. So ho- I'm hoping that at least theirs and and stake stick out amongst the, the carbon running cars. So that brings us to the end of the the cars we have seen. So I think no one will be surprised at the Mercedes being broadly black, the Aston Martin being broadly the same Aston Martin green, and Red Bull probably aren't going to diverge too far uh, from their their normal colours. Have we forgotten about anyone? Is there someone? We definitely have. Oh man, I hate these. I hate these ones because then someone will be insulted if it's there. Yeah, oh you're going goodness. down. You're going down the running order in your in your mind. Alpine. One of the Ferrari cars. Ferrari.
0: It is Ferrari. Ferrari. Ferrari.
3: Oh my god. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> May have we don't know
0: they'll be red, though.
3: Like, Might it's have fine. to edit that. Well, well. to be honest, at this point, I've got no faith that they're going to come out with a red car. They could go, it's a bold new black concept. And also, I, I'm not sure whether I'm getting fully into bed with the Tafosi or not. So let, let's edit that. And of course, we're looking forward the most to the Ferrari launch. We're, and the livery will be uh, amazing and fantastic. Christina, if you don't mind holding on there before we meet you in properly outside of your F1 sphere. We're going to knuckle down and meet Christina Lee Mays. But before we do, I'm going to hand you over to me from a couple of days ago and where you can tell my heating was broken because I was wearing a hoodie. And I'm going to catch up now with Peter Wright from Digital Law and Dr. Heather. I don't know why I've I've said all that. So now you're going to have to listen to me saying that again after the bumper. Right, well, you thought we'd finished with Andretti? No, the war with Uncle Joe was just the beginning. And as some of you may have observed, me and Joe had disagreed on quite a lot of stuff. Don't worry, we're still friends. I really just felt like I wanted to represent the views of a lot of fans out there. And I know Joe said that only barrack room lawyers are interested in thinking that the Andretti rejection might be a bad idea, but here on our roster... We have two fully grown-up top lawyers. One of them goes on the radio and everything, and one's from America, so she you know she's good. They think that there's a possibility that F1 may have chosen a dangerous path. So, please welcome to The Shed, digital law expert and recent judge of F1 in Schools, Peter Wright. Hello, Peter. Hello. And joining you, even more expert, is your partner in crime and life, Dr. Heather, who is an expert in tech. Hello, Heather. Hello. And politely sitting there in the background is Matt Trumpet, who doesn't agree with me on anything I've said about Andretti.
1: Well, I think we agree on the spelling, at least.
3: Well, uh, yes, although I'm not good at adding the capitals. Why is the first letter bigger than the rest? All the letters should be the same. It's a democracy. So... First question to all three of you, what did you think of my chat with Joe? Like I said, I did try to represent Matt's view as well as mine. And I think I tried to just push back against some of what a lot of people felt was post hoc reasoning by by Formula One. What do you make of it, Peter? Because every time we talked about lawyers and law and regulation, I thought, oh, Peter's going to wince. So, uh, look, I- I'm always very grateful for the input that we get from Joe because
4: he's giving us the voice from inside the paddock. You know, whenever we've watched Ted Kravitz and he's walking up and down the pit lane, and you see Joe in the background having furtive conversations with people. So you know that when Joe's saying, well, this is a view, he's giving us the view he's hearing from senior team management, from FIA, et cetera. And the insight he gave in that episode last week was invaluable. You know, he's making the point who are the people perhaps funding yeah. Andretti if they are just the figurehead? You forget the fact that Michael Andretti, I mean, it's 30 years since he was driving in Formula One. The man's in his 60s. Has he got the um, dedication to start a team from scratch, as Gunter Stein has just done, and it's worn him out after uh, the best part of 10 years? You know, is, is that something Michael Andretti's is ready for? You know, absolutely motorsport royalty, but it's just a really important, I think, to, to take account of that. But the other thing, and this was where I was really almost sort of shouting at the radio, um, was that Joe was saying, oh yeah, I'm sure Liberty have thought of this and they'll have paid for top draw lawyers. And you're like...
3: Oh, here yeah. we go. And the
4: courts are full of lawyers being sued for professional negligence who had very expensive fees. And, you know, just because you've paid for legal advice doesn't necessarily mean that it will stand up to scrutiny.
2: About this, you can hire really expensive lawyers. That doesn't mean that you win or that you're right or that even the advice. I mean, you could hire lawyers that might be really smart, but actually don't have any idea what the the actual dynamics are of the whole thing um they might not understand the undercurrents and the and the politics around it and think well this is just simple this that the other and the other thing is they might hire lawyers because they know they're in a bad position they want to say no to them but they know they're in a bad position so the lawyers are there merely to minimize the bleeding like i had friends who actually were on the side of defending the tobacco companies back in the day they didn't defend them in the sense that yes they have a right to kill you what they did is okay. is try and soften the blow it's not as bad so if they were really good lawyers they weren't saying this is the way to do it to keep andretti out it was this is the way to slow roll this until we can get did I just say the right word? Yeah. Slow roll it? No, slow roll it till we get the result we need. It get it's it's a type of negotiation, but it's not a negotiation. It's more waiting for the right situation and also it means that formula one stays in the press and andretti is a great name so his name keeps it in the press well,
4: hang on i'm not sure there's been enough f1 news this last week you know i mean there's, there's been oh, some sports pages that don't have formula one on
3: there i think there needs to be a bit more real. so it, i love hearing you say that heather because i think you know me and matt we we disagreed on whether a f1 could actually block andretti and b you know, what kind of silly games could they play? And, and I did wonder whether there would be a lot of delaying tactics. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, well, this might just be step one of people challenging and saying, well, like, you can't actually do that. And But then yeah. they have to win that argument in a court somewhere, I guess.
2: It is actually, you know, um, something we learn in law school. Uh, slow rolling is a um, legitimate it's, it's, we also have one called um, puffery, where we're allowed to be a bit over the top with our arguments just because it's just puffery. It's okay. But it, slow rolling is a technique. If you know that you're not going to win in the end, you want to slow roll it until you can negotiate, because those, the other side's going to have to be spending money while it's doing this as well. You, you allow that to get to a point where both of you are willing to sit down and have a conversation and a negotiation where both sides agree. I don't think there is anything in law or contracts or the whole complicated multi-jurisdictional choice of law stuff that we would have to deal with as well that says that they can keep
3: them out. So this this is a filibuster. I've watched US sitcoms. It's a filibuster. <laughs> Just keep on chatting. Uh, but it's a filibuster, yeah. it does, yeah.
4: It is almost working, though. I mean, this process already yeah. has been so drawn out that what at first seemed like you know a dim and distant first year of competition of potentially 2025, it's now impossible really for them to draw everything together, even if, if they had been given the green light this month, to actually be on the grid for 2025. It's virtually impossible. It was when this process started... But that is an example of how it has been slow rolled and, and already where it's it's just becoming, you know, from a commercial realisation point of view, when you think of all the infrastructure you have to get together, you do need certainty in terms of what you're building towards. But the sheer lack of that, um, I mean, that they're actually making a really good advert for actually not just saying, Andretti, you can't come in, but anyone else who's in the wings thinking, oh, yeah, I'd like a shot at Formula One. You'd look at this and just think it, it, it's just commercially, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. You can't have people, you know, expensive technical people on contracts ready to start working and building a car and then not be sure exactly which year you're actually going to be admitted to.
1: Yeah, it is a problem. And I think Andretti has already conceded that at this point, 26 would be really the earliest they could put themselves on their grid if they were to agree a deal with Liberty. And I, I think the thing that I wonder about most you know, aside from the fact is maybe this is just a negotiating ploy, is that if you go back to the addition of this anti-dilution fee, because it wasn't there in older agreements, this is a new thing. If you look at it, um, it was added, I think, around the time that Doralton bought Williams. And essentially, the price that they set at that time, which was to run until the end of 2025, uh, was more or less what Doralton paid for Williams. So basically, it seems like from contract terms, what they're saying is if you want to bring a new team to the grid, you basically have to pay F1 the same amount that you would have to buy a team for, except that they didn't, and I don't think anybody did, anticipate uh, Formula One team values going from sports franchise values to tech valuations in three short years. So it looks like, to me, they essentially realized they didn't write that section of the contract well, and they're literally just trying to run it out so they can slam Andretti for seven or $800 billion for their place.
2: And this is where we say that lawyers can be really high, highly paid and really not do the right thing. They can screw up royally, and I think that was a major screw up. I mean- you, you don't put a provision in there about buyout and not have any sort of movement on it, you know, inflation um, or it compared that it has to be purchased for a price. That's the, the market value. You gotta have an index for that. I mean, this is why we have problems. Sorry. My doctor actually in tax law. So I talk about indexes and not moving those and you end up with a messed up tax system. So, yeah they they screwed up with the contract, and either they're waiting for the contract to run out or they're waiting until they can behind the scenes say, yeah, we screwed up, uh we know we don't have to make you pay that much, but we can slow roll this you oh, you're not quite with the regs here, you're not quite with the regs here we can we can slow roll this long enough until you agree to pay us slightly more, and we uh reduce we change the contract to being something else. You know, I'm sure all of this is going on behind the scenes between between hopefully slightly better lawyers than the ones that wrote that term in the Oof. contract because that was Shots ridiculous. Fired.
3: Shots fired, Matt.
2: Oh, I will yeah. take down any contract attorney who does something stupid like that. That is oh, that's, okay. that's, yeah.
3: Comments that's... below in the YouTube, heatheratlawstuff.com. <laughs>
1: <laughs> heather at Law Stuff. Matt. Okay, so we've gotten to this point. Um, And there's a lot to discuss. People are very for this. Some people think the teams are making the right choice to protect the valuations of the current teams and to protect the economics of the sport. Some people are visibly offended because of the nature of the press release describing the quote unquote reasons for turning it down. But I haven't seen anyone talk about legitimate liabilities that Formula One and Liberty might incur by doing this. I mean, I know our listeners will have heard us bang on about the EU a lot, but that's not you. the only potential player here, is it, Heather? We we
2: were discussing, we had a heated discussion about this before the podcast started, so you you go right ahead.
4: So it comes down to it that the EU have investigated Formula One before. Well, it was the FIA uh, back in the 1990s. Um, some people might say, "Well, what you know does the EU have jurisdiction here?" given that, of course, in the 1990s, London was was where um, Formula One is domiciled now, was, of course, part of the European Union. Now it isn't. But the fact is, you've still got a major sporting activity with the best part of a third of the Formula One World Championship races taking place in mainland Europe with the knock-on effect that when you've got a sport that um, you know millions of Europeans are turning up to watch in person, let alone um, hundreds of millions watching it on TV, uh, means that They've basically got the, the locus that if they decide they want to turn around and challenge and intervene and investigate, then they can do. And a high-profile um, incident such as this might be the sort of thing where they could turn around and investigate, though albeit the EU is currently um, very tied up with um, uh, French and Belgian farmers slow-driving tractors through um, city centres and issues over um, agriculture policy. But once once that's been dealt with this is the sort of thing that they may end up um, (laughs) taking a look at because it comes down to issues over fairness and competition. Very often when these things are regulated in the US, it does involve someone being taken Mm -hmm. to court. In this instance, it's not a matter of actually going through court. It would just be an investigation launched by the European Commission Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's exactly what has happened before when it came to formula one and i'm say this could make them return to the basis upon which they wound up that investigation in the early 2000s
2: and you might know more about this too they they've been recently really hot on taking on sport um sports entities saying you can't restrict things because they're you know threatening players in in we call it soccer in the u.s sorry um football uh, leagues saying like you can't you can't restrict them from going you can't say you can't play in our league if you're going to play for their league yeah so they, they've been really keen to to try and stop this sort of anti-competitive thing
3: yeah quick question um, just to compare it to say closed leagues in america because there's a lot of them can the nba refuse a, a new team can nfl refuse well, a new team
4: now, that's a question in terms of the NFL because that's the example that keeps on being rolled out. They're saying, oh, well, Formula One is now like a franchise and you have 10 franchises. And the idea is that you buy one of those rather than starting one from scratch. But have you that's had a view on that. And
2: that's 100% bull. That, that's not how it happens. That is that is um,
4: come back next week and tell us what you really think. Yeah, yeah. it's
2: it it just it, it. I'm sorry, but in my in not even in my like lifetime, but in my adult life, there have been franchises added to the NFL. They're adding them all. The, they're actually talking about now adding franchises outside of the U.S. because they're really wanting to grow up, grow up globally. So it's not like you have there. There is no set term number of franchises. It's just making it even so that they have the. Mm. So if you have one come in, you have to have another come in, or you have to have one drop out East when another West. comes in.
3: But can they say no at some point? Like, can they just go, "No, you're not good enough"?
2: But NFL is about the money. So <laughs> if they got enough money, are they let them in. The, the really the only restriction is that if you want to come in, you got to find another team that's willing to come in, or a, a team that, that's that's going to just that's out of money and is going to drop out. There is, yes, a lot of buying teams. Um, that happens and they switch cities and all of that. But you want to create new teams? You create new teams, but you just have to have balance. That's pretty much the main restriction. Throw the money at it have and and you can have a team. And that's going to be happening in the European market soon, I believe.
4: And the thing is as well, um, when it comes to motorsport, there is kind of generally a tradition of you have an entry list and people apply yeah. to then race in that championship. Um, And I'd be actually really interested to know amongst our wonderful uh, Missed Apex listeners, if anyone can find an example out there of a championship in motorsport that says you can't, as a new entrant, turn up and compete. Because it's generally a tradition when you go up and down the motorsport ladder that, you know, they're actually encouraging people to join. And it's usually an indicator of the economic health of an economy, how many series there are, how many spectators are turning up, and how many competitors there are. You know, um, after the financial crash, Formula One struggled. We went down to just three engine manufacturers, you know, big manufacturers, Honda, Toyota, BMW, all pulled out. You know, the only reason that... um, uh, honda became brawn which they suddenly realized it was going to cost them more in redundancy payments to um, be able to actually walk away uh, than it would just to um, sell the, t- the team for a nominal pound and its liabilities to-, to ross Braun. otherwise they just wanted to lock the factory fire everyone and walk away because they simply didn't have the resources to um to carry on and i don't like to be apocalyptic but you always have to think that could happen again you know we we do live in interesting times
2: and the the Concord agreement actually addresses if they get to if there are too few teams that they have to have at least sixteen um, cars on the track, and that if it doesn't look like there's going to be sixteen, you know, all the, the little tweaks they can make to bring somebody in or bring teams up that that just barely get the
1: rules. And the FIA, like now, as I understand it, the FIA is thoroughly entitled to say there's a maximum number of teams you can have on the grid for the purposes of safety and fair competition, but they're not the ones who said no here
2: yeah yeah yeah, and it, show me where it, show me where that regulation is and what the reasons for that regulations are, and we can tell you how you get around it I mean that that is that's a regulation regulations can change. that's not a contract. they're very
1: oh. different things. Okay, so we've been talking about the fact that there's potential for the EU to investigate. But is there potential, especially on the side of Andretti, for the U.S. to wind up being involved here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, U.S. has antitrust laws as well. So and they also this is this is one of their... um, we love Andretti. Even though he was, he was, he was born in Italy. He's an American. He is our sport, our driving, um, hero. He's a, a common name. So American you mess. Yeah. If we, if you mess with a, with a, an American hero, you're, you're going to have issues. So we have antitrust, but you also have defamation because they say, you know, they don't bring value. I'm like, I'm sorry, but Andretti doesn't bring value how does that work so whilst liberty media may be trying to slow roll if andretti's not on board with that slow rolling they may actually be able to come after them for things like breach of their own contracts um and since both andretti liberty media has has presence there so they can say you don't actually have the authority to do this so you're breaching your your obligations under the contracts all sorts of things. Trust me, good lawyers can come up with all sorts of things to scare the other side. And one slow rolls, the other one it's scares. It's a very
4: dangerous thing to have turned around and said, oh, they add no value. I mean, okay, they, maybe they, if everyone's got an actuarial report to say, oh, this we demonstrate this. Yeah. But for each one they could do, I'm sure in the US, you know, Andretti could produce five actuarial reports to say, actually, no, we could massively increase the, the value of the sport in the US.
1: Uh, so I want to just follow up. I know uh, from talking to Peter, the EU can appoint themselves interested in this if they feel like there's uh, commercial exposure is big enough on their side to just investigate on their own. Would Andretti in the U.S. have to file a suit or is this something that, say, you know, the U.S. government
2: c- yeah could federal Trade decide Commission. to investigate? Yeah, Federal Trade Commission might, but um, it, it's difficult since, the, since FIA, well, Liberty Media is a US-based company, mostly. Um, so FTC could become involved. Um, usually antitrust stuff does come from the federal government and their intervention, but it's whether or not they feel this is really an antitrust thing. They might have to be petitioned strongly by Andretti to do that. I think Andretti's uh, more likely to just to do the the scare tactics and hope that if they push the if if they're not just slow rolling on the side of liberty that they then try and get the FTC the government to come in and say this is antitrust. So or the EU does
3: it? well Okay. The smart people have been saying all the things and I have understood many of the words that you guys have said. <laughs> so you know, I think, you know, it, in my head, Andretti want to be in, it's a good business opportunity, but they want to go racing as well. I mean, I'm not going to write off that whole team as just a profit grab. I'm sure once it's all in place, you know, they're going to hire the people who, who want to go racing and I want an 11th team. So they have been saying, we're pushing ahead. We're pushing ahead with our plans. And like the FIA have said, yeah, yeah, we still all think it's it's pretty great. So there's still a little bit of of denial, I suppose, because Andretti were going ahead with their wind tunnel. We're fully prepping for 2025 as if the FIA approval was it signed, sealed, and delivered, and then and then acted very blindsided publicly that it had been rejected. I am devastated. I can't I can't believe it. Where did this come? Where did this very predictable attitude from FOM suddenly come from? So it's almost like they set themselves up to be like, to be baffled. But I just, I don't feel like they can have been baffled by this.
2: Have you heard like building your evidence for, for any sort of court action?
3: No, but you can tell no. me. So th- this is what they were doing. They were laying that foundation. So now they're the big kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And we'd already bought all the sandwiches and everything.
2: Clutching I- your pearls. It exactly. Is, and yeah, I
3: think there's an element of
4: they would potentially be able to turn around and say, look, we've already hired all these people. We've started building a factory. We've started designing a car. We've spoken to Ford. Ford's, sorry, it, no, it's, it's, yeah. GM, sorry yeah. it's GM. Sorry, it's GM. that um, they're working. But the, the point is, is that you could argue, well, what assurances, aside from the FIA saying, yes, we think you're fine, what other assurances may they have received before they started doing that? Because let's face it, if you're going to start doing that, they probably didn't have like 500 million sat around to start doing that. Either people will have invested or banks will have said, here's an overdraft, go ahead. And people tend to only do that if you turn around and give some evidence, you know, letters, documents, something that's made them think, oh, yes, this looks like, yeah, you, you do have a good shot here and you are going to get in. So off we go. If they can then establish that, look, we acted in good faith, in reliance on assurances that we had received in presumably some form of documentary form. And then, you know, we relied on that in good faith to our detriment, as it now seems, if we aren't getting in in 2025 or 2026, that's where you've then got the grounds to turn around and start thinking that if Andretti do want to to litigate on this, that would be the grounds, the the, the essence of a case that they would look to make. So those will be the words that I've just said there that would form like the kernel of any claim that they would take.
2: And the legalese for that in both the US and the UK is called promissory estoppel you promised us oh, this thing I remember and you've now pulled the rug out from us we you you are a stopped you can't now withdraw stuff because we've we've put stuff into this to the extent that it you've actually you actually can't pull back
3: now. okay I'm gonna really need that word because the amount of times we've been out and about and I've got my I've got my eyes on the steakhouse or you know even I'm not even like classy even just some tacos and then my wife will turn around and go like do you know what you know, we've got we've got all the stuff at home. It's silly to spend the money. And I want to say to her, no, my expectations were built up by a conversation earlier. This is promissory.
2: Promissory. Promissory.
3: Promissory. Estoppel. Promissory. I'm going to lawyer up. I am lawyering up for the next time. Matt.
1: Okay. So uh, one more thing that I really want to get to um, before my last question here is we have kind of overlooked something. That I think both of you as lawyers will have heard the term deep pockets. Oh, yeah. We're all very That's focused very... on Andretti here, but it might be worth remembering that their partner is GM. Uh, yeah. Which is a very I'm... big company with lots and lots of lobbyists and lawyers and yeah. a direct competitor already engaged with Red Bull, getting business that they are now missing out on. So, it, there may be money here to pursue this but the thing that oh, I, yeah. I would like to get to oh is, and
2: gm does go after stuff like this they definitely do so they they are willing to put money behind stuff they believe in
1: so let's let's say let's take an example of the eu and let's take an example of the us what are some of the what are some of the outcomes we could be looking at if this goes to litigation What could go wrong for Formula One in the event it gets this far, that they aren't able to negotiate a settlement that keeps everybody happy?
4: So um, there could end up being a regulatory investigation by the EU who may then turn around and actually say, look, we we don't agree with your rules here and um, we don't think you have acted in fairness or applied the principles around competition correctly. Um, it is difficult to envisage a world where they say you have to la- let Andretti in. I think it would the, the finding would be you have to change the process and make it clear and transparent and then they'd have to go through all that again. Whether they would be so inclined to do that again, that would be the question there. So you could see that. You could then potentially see, um, and we've talked about sort of litigation, if Andretti were to sue, would they do that in the US? Would they go to London um, or, or a particular state in the US? I mean, that, that would be then a matter of probably just end up a large amount of money changing hands rather than the outcome being congratulations you can come and race in formula one and you know you just can't see that being the outcome that would end up being offered and accepted during the course of that or you could potentially have the f the ftc as you've hinted at
2: yeah but in the us there's (laughs) a there's a thing even when you've got law and you've got deep pockets like gm which we can which can bully um, anyone into doing something, and they they could be in in court legally obligated because promissory estoppel means you promise them this, you can't pull the rug out, you have to let them in. Um, but we also do this great thing called uh boycotting, and you've got a huge crowd of people that love this sport whether you like it or not because of DTS. Um, and love the DTS. For love those. a good boycott. And that that is an embarrassment for the. That could be a big embarrassment for the sport if they if they rally that side of it. I know that's a weird, but it is something we are very good at is is boycotting and canceling and.
3: Yeah, you know, yeah, and look, I, I, I desperately want to talk to you guys about F one in schools because I've, I've yes, already please. said that to the listeners, and I don't want to be guilty of promissory estoppel right yes hey very good but i wonder one element here with the with the, the the court cases and and the the threats and the the positioning is ultimately the teams want to get on the grid and and people don't want to get sued and there's that old proverb children's story that you're more likely to take someone's coat off by with warmth than you are by trying to blow it off you try and blow their coat off and they they pull it tighter don't they and but you make it warmer and lovelier, and they they take their coat off and get comfortable. Uh, at what point do they start, you know, playing nice? And or at what point do you go? I, I can't blow the wind, or F one will tighten their jacket.
4: I think the difficulty is is I think we're already beyond. Uh, you know, the, the the wind is blowing cold. Um, it could get as bad as the point where we're on a plane at sixteen thousand feet and the jacket is pulled off due to sudden rapid depressurization. Right. Um, but I, I can't really see it getting to the point where everyone is, you know, very um, happy and and we take the coat off, of it's nice and warm, and we're all going to play together. I just don't see. It's already that entrenched that you just can't really see this being resolved with what I think we'd all like, which is to have Andretti on the grid and we go racing. So it's all it's already um, ruined.
2: Uh, no, I, I'm 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 uh, I've been involved in some of these backdoor things, these background things, these slow rolls, and I think. There might be a lot more going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, and there will be suddenly. I'm, I think, possibly we'll have suddenly a resolution sometime before the 2025 season, which sees Andretti come onto the field. That's what I think.
0: Well, I think think peace in our time.
2: I think peace in our time. I think there's <laughs> there's just a lot of ploys going on right now to to negotiate behind the scenes. That's 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 how I see it. You, you that's heard what it I, here first. That's what I feel. That's my feeling.
3: We'll wait for the piece of paper then. There yeah, <laughs> yeah, but look, a, a much more important thing than the legal cases of actual race cars on track, and <laughs> and this is something at Miss Apex we do with our race driver karaoke at our karting events, and that we do on our sim racing events. We have a, a strict philosophy that pretend race cars are every bit as good as real race cars, and you two have been fantastically involved in the UK with F1. In schools, and I've been looking up the pictures of it. Like, you, you are both judges? Are you both judges in the F1 in schools? Yep. Oh, wow. So yep. you're the people they've got to impress. This thing yep. looks epic. I mean, it's building model F1 cars. They've even got little fake wind tunnels and everything. Tell, tell us about F1 in schools and what you guys have been doing.
2: Right. Well, I got the invitation through um, the Worshipful Company of Information Technologists. So it started out as a UK event, but it is now global. Um, and there's global competitions yep. um what we were judging this week was the primary school and secondary schools regional competitions for this area um so basically the Yorkshire York, and York, regional York, finals
4: yeah. the North. after this they then go on to they then go on to the national finals um which are taking place in uh uh, Rotherham, the Magna Centre in Rotherham on the 14th, 15th and 16th of March that's the UK national finals but also for those who are listening overseas, we have all of our Missed Apex listeners all around the world, it's an international competition yeah. so you eventually go to world finals and there are Dozens of countries engaged in that. I think certainly the US, Australia, Indonesia, India, Costa Rica even has joined last year. So um, literally wherever you are, this should be the opportunity to engage in the F1 in schools competition. And
2: the world competition is done around the time of one of the races. So wherever that world competition is happening, it is at one of the, at and around one of the circuits. And that last year was at Singapore. So the students got to do a grid and, and judges got to do a grid walk. Um one of them was saying he got a selfie with Hamilton. So it, it's quite prestigious.
4: Nice. But uh, One of the judges I was with yesterday got through to the um, world finals in Austin in 2016. Uh, and that, so that was quite inspirational. One of the teams that um, I was judging presentations, one of the teams, get this, you've got a team of 11-year-olds. They say, we have a seven-year plan and we want <laughs> eventually to be at the world finals. And I Love said, it. well, you'll probably want to speak Love to this it. judge then because... They've actually been to the world finals, so that's the person yeah. you need to speak. I love speak it. To. So, hang,
3: give, give us just an instinct, you know, a bit more like a practical thing. So, like it's model yeah. cars. So, we're talk- we're talking like cars that can fit in the the palm of your hand, but they're ju- yeah, they're they- judged all the way from design to actually racing them on little tracks.
2: Absolutely. So, it, it, there are two levels. So, you've got the primary level, and they don't have they they. They don't let them 3D print anything. What they do is send them their little box canister and a already formed um, 2D form of a car that they cut out and then fold it around to make a model car. Oh, it's a spec and... series, in yeah, other words. A spec, a, a spec series. series. What's going but on? then <laughs> what they have to do is create from that. They get to, in fact, this is a good design development. They, they give us these portfolios. They're so lovely. This is from that. So they start out with these little cars and they keep modifying them and changing them throughout the process.
4: We had one team. uh, And again, this was primary school kids and they were saying, so we, we, we devolved, we evolved our design. We got through six front wings during testing. And I thought, who are you Red Bull or something? Yeah. Um, But it, it was great that that, they were literally going through that iterative process. So, you know, succeed, fail, what was working, what wasn't working and evolving, what was in effect a cardboard car.
2: And this is the testing phase. So that's their little um, wind tunnel and they put smoke in it so they could see how things were going by. Again, primary school students. They also <laughs> were, were doing CDF so they would actually be able the fluid dynamics so it's CFD so they were able to see fluid dynamic yeah. testing online
3: they do CAD CAM and everything yeah. what's the ultimate like test of it though so is it going downhill so if it's got better, better no, no 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 no
2: even better so i said there's a gas canister right? right so they have to they have to pass scrutineering as well so what they do is they've got the 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 canisters and they're they're at the start button they've got the start button thing so that's a reaction time test that's actually tested as well so they choose the, t- the team member that has the, the quickest thumb. And you hit that, the gas canister, it's on a, it's, it, it is on a straight track, but it also has a, a, a thin filament running down the track that the, that the cars stay on. So it Like a guide. Yeah, so it yeah. won't fly off.
4: It's but, basically like a mini drag racing strip. Yeah. They've got nice. two lanes and two cars race against each other for
1: and a set
4: distance. So yeah. actually, it looks like
1: about 20-odd meters to me. Yeah. So basically it's like a pellet gun, only you're shooting a car.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and all of this stuff is involved. So that the, the elementary that. they do paper versions, and they even talk about you know they they were slightly underweight. Teams were saying we're slightly underweight, so we painted this. They have to come up with design concepts and um, so branding and marketing. They go out and get sponsors to help not just pay for it, but the team that won, as I said, the it, as we should be very proud, the all girls team from the elementary. Yeah. Well done. They they had um i've had lots of uh sponsorship but one of their supporters was dyson so they had video calls with uh designers inspect people from dyson who helped sort of talk to them about that it was amazing. the whole thing
4: it's a stem challenge so the idea is to get the people's exposure to careers involved in stem uh science technology engineering math so it's really showing them these are the practical applications for the skills That's that you really are acquiring And speaking mm-hmm. to people like that um, but, but it's also graphic it was design
2: because graphic they have design. to do their their logos they have to do verbal presentations. so you got presentation one, one
4: school skills. got someone in from the local rugby league club to talk about sponsorship and help them put together a pitch pack which they could <laughs> then take to local sponsors should explain there are, there are different classes as so the primary is the one that's made out of cardboard for the primary school children then for primary school students then secondary school there are three classes there's entry which um, is, I think, about 60-odd gram. And then there's Development, which was about 50-odd grams. And then there's Pro, which was about, no, I think, 60, it was 55 or 50.
2: It was 60, 65. But each successive and,
4: yeah, car is then, um, as it gets lighter, it's more detailed. Um, and actually, these there are regulations on how these cars are supposed to look um, and and the weight and everything laid down by Gary Anderson, well, who was the chair of judges well, we and put to together him, regulations for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's that genuine sort of, uh, you know, he, he's put together a set here like the actual F1 regulations for the kids to follow.
2: They have scrutinaries. They're, they're scrutineering. There's a guy He's literally sat at a table with all the race cars, taking him in with the little – he's got the, the tape measure, he's got the calibrated scales and everything – uh, it's it's incredibly precise. And, and indeed, what you see from these kids is amazing. On
4: both of the days we were judging, the car that was actually the fastest, that had the outright fastest time, both times failed scrutineering, so didn't actually go Controversial.
3: That is some Formula yeah. E level yeah. stuff. Yeah. As, did they find out, yeah. like. You know, two hours later, is that the so you find out there's like a bigger award? The award ceremony, (laughs) like
2: you were fastest. Sorry, you don't win this other one. Not they just win the race bit of it, not the whole thing. Exactly. So the the way
4: this is put together, they're actually scored and assessed. So I was judging the presentations that they gave. Each team has to give a five minute presentation, um, which. As judges, we've got like scoring criteria on things like the team identity, the branding, the sponsorship, the collaboration,
2: all of these things. <laughs> Heather,
4: Heather, you were doing the the research. I was and, doing and design, design and
2: engineering, so I had design concepts, three D modeling, use of CAM and CS, CNC, and the testing and the levels of them.
3: Okay, um, I have I have two major points here because this sounds yeah. fascinating. So I want to learn more, and I did notice that Tom Deakin who is a very uh, talented podcaster and presenter, does a podcast for F1 in schools as well yes. called The Main Straight Podcast, so you can get information yes. there. Uh, so there's, there's two yep. things. A, I'm curious, in fact, three. A, I'm curious how much it would cost to get Miss Apex uh, on, a, on a car as a sponsor and if our patrons would like to get involved in some kind of STEM or education or thing Absolutely. like this. Se- that would be lovely. Secondly, I'd like to invite anyone who is doing a a pitch for an F1 in school's sponsor pack. Uh, I, I'll limit it to like a couple, not like a thousand. But if any of them, you know, fancy coming on Miss Apex and giving a sponsor pitch for their F1 in school's oh. bid, that's something we can hook up as well. And sec- and thirdly, I'm, I well, did the scrutineering also monitor uh, customer teams? Because if one team gets like the winning formula for the front wing they need or whatever, how do we know they aren't, you know, through the back door selling their front wings? of the schools
4: well i mean there is the element i think of some schools are really really good at this to set up a framework that then successive years that come through can can follow but that's going to be oh. the thing you have some teachers that are just really engaged on this and will put together that framework for their teams to be able to follow that that's what you'd expect like well the here's Adrian the thing of, you can yeah
2: yeah you can buy the back wing but if you can't show me as a judge how you came up with that wing how you did? What was your inspiration show you by it, Show you working on it. How did you test it? How did you decide to go from this wing to that wing and test it? If you can't show me your engineering process because you bought it, mm. then you're not gonna you're not gonna advance. So because... just because
4: you finished first on the track as well, even There's if you've very little to do with it, that's only a certain amount of the scoring. You still got to stand up and articulate what you've done. And as I say, demonstrate it's all yours. Yeah. Um, you're asking about, so how much would it cost? Mm. I mean, it, it varies. So for that primary school competition, literally the kids were going out again. Remember, they're just 10 years old. And sort of they were had three sponsors. Each sponsor had paid 100 pounds. And that meant the logo was on there. Um, you know, that, that there were a little bit, you know, companies were being referred to on X. You know, here's the team. They got through to the regional finals. Thank you to our sponsors. Um, they had banners and things on their little pit stop displays that they put up. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's at the primary level um on the entry class um the team that won that they'd got two thousand pounds of sponsorship Beyond they turned me. up in team kit they turned up in team kit literally <laughs> yeah. baseball hats jackets <laughs> i mean there's some teams that turn up they're in the school uniforms this team they walked in um they gave out uh, you know they were saying you know we want to show you all of our
3: cars here's our um he got uh, a
2: free ferrari hat out of it
3: here's a fluid <gasps> separation <gasps> Well, a- was- oh. whoa. Whoa, whoa that's a bung that's called, that's called <laughs> they, a bong, Peter. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's
2: bri- he was bribed. He was bribed, yeah. you
4: know, I will need a Ferrari cap now yeah. for 2025.
2: Anyway, yeah,
3: so, me too, me too, me too.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, um, but the the big sponsorships come when they have to get, when they win nationals and go on to world because these, yeah. these schools have to pay to get their teams you know, there. Last 30, year it we was in Singapore, pounds.
4: so they've got to sort out their flights and accommodation. Yeah.
2: But those Brilliant. come from multiple sponsors. And the biggest thing, though, they can get from sponsors, especially in the beginning, is not just money, but resources and advice and help i mean if you're a tech you have a tech company and you've got you've got access to um really good um if you've got a 3d, 3D printer 3d printing that can print in the materials that they're required to print in that have you have calibrated scales or you have presentation materials and skills in putting together um these these portfolios you can printing printing binding,
4: yeah if you give advice like on the sponsorship or, or you've got an engineering background you could be a garage Branding um, and you know marketing. your engineers can go and talk to. People. There's loads of different ways to get involved. It isn't just a matter of opening the checkbook. It really isn't.
2: And there are people who have come from this who do now have jobs. The ones the the the, the woman you were judging with, two of the students that she was at Worlds with um, in 2016. In 2016, have, have both gone
3: in
4: Formula One teams.
2: Yeah.
3: Wow. So it, they, this is, they moved yeah. up there. Well, I didn't realise it was quite on that scale. And now Huge. listening to the financial side of it. I think we're definitely looking at the primary side. The little kids, they're the best kids anyway. Teenagers are rubbish. Get them while they're young. Teenagers. (laughs) Teenagers I'm painting my car black because, like, my soul and no one knows what it's like to be 13 ever. Yeah, so So, young kids.
4: If you're inspired by this, um, I'll say (laughs) the national finals, 12th, 13th, 14th of March um, in Rotherham, Yorkshire. Um, That's a big place called Magna. So if you are able to come up for even just one day, just to see, you know, what happens, how how the, the teams uh, compete, take a look at the pit walk, you know, do the pit walk, take a look at the uh, the teams that are there, look at the racing that takes place. And then that's a way to potentially think about, okay, how could we support teams at our local school in the in next year's competition? Yeah. And it's a ticketed um, but-
2: event, I believe it's five pounds. Yes, And that gives you access not just to the event, but to the um, museum, the STEM museum at Magna and all of those things. So, that, there you go. That's
3: amazing. I'm very excited about that. We'll we'll, we'll talk offline and we can see if uh, Miss Apex can find a way to get involved. And uh, I'm sure Matt will, as always, provide all the relevant links. Uh, it looks like you've got. And they always one... need, they always need judges as well. So Ooh. any listeners that are out there that want to volunteer
4: some time to judge. Um, they were slightly short on judges yesterday. There were 30 teams there yesterday. Yeah. So you need a lot of judges to look at all of these different criteria. So anyone who has got the time and,
2: and... And some experience in these areas. yeah.
3: So if they're looking for people who have got experience in judging motorsport, but without really knowing anything, I mean, I'm pretty perfect and I've been doing it for ages.
2: Yeah, well, you would be good in the presentation, nice. um, judging. Yeah. yeah, so presentation is a big part of it. Um, you know, engineering and designing is what I was doing, but that's part of what I do in a daily job on tech. So... All right. That works. So you you have to have at least some skill in the area in which you're judging. Fair enough. If you're into branding um, and marketing and things like that, there is that for the advanced teams, that's uh, one of the judging categories as well.
3: Excellent. Thanks very much for this. This has been such a a great uh, uh, experience to get. this level of expertise from just one household. Uh, so, final, final, non F one, non Andretti, non F one in schools. Question is: Out of the two of you at home, I imagine arguments go on for a very long time. Who's the best at lawyering out of you two? Well, duh. You did, woof, that was unanimously Heather. That uh, did not take yeah. long. <laughs> no, that was a very quick. That was a very quick fight. You'll, you'll notice I folded quickly, man. <laughs> so, yeah. You've got the breaking strength of a Kit Kat there, Peter. But thank you very much, Peter. Right. <laughs>
2: I've worn him down over the years.
3: <laughs> Pizza Wright and Dr. Heather, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from
2: Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
4: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact...
3: Excellent! What a, a fantastic chat there. There are two very lovely people, and I could tell that they were had been arguing before coming on in a nice way and debating it. And, and I love watching a, a couple doing any kind of thing uh, like this because there's all sorts of unseen things. So you look carefully, and you could see Doctor Heather like nudging Peter. Come on, you you didn't say that last time. Uh, brilliant! So I hope we can hear from them again on other matters. But we still have with us waiting. You waited patiently. For 39 minutes, Christina, so that we could do this Meet the Panel. Thank you so much.
0: Very happy to be here. Very happy, unsurprisingly, or maybe surprisingly, to talk about my little old self.
3: Yeah, we want to talk about you. Now, let's get personal straight away. You're happily living with uh, Mr. McGee, uh, with Mr. Squeaks McGee. That cat, you're a cat person, like a lot of the Missed Apex panel, but that is the neediest cat I have ever seen. That cat does not leave you alone for a moment's content creation. Although we haven't seen it today.
0: No, this thankfully is his first nap time of the day. So he is down, he's up in the closet. You can see the curtains if you're watching the video version of this. He's behind that curtain. Pay no attention to the cat behind that curtain. Who's
3: really in control. You're just, uh, what's not breakfast at Bernie's? What's the one where they had the guy who'd passed away, but they controlled him like a puppet?
0: I that's very much breakfast at Bernie's.
3: There we go. That's that. Is it that... is
0: breakfast at Bernie's. Yes.
3: All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. It is very uh, much yes. like that. So it he is squeaks is that's fully in control. Yeah. And uh, is he is he a moggy? Is he a, a special breed of cat?
0: He is not, to my knowledge. He is just a. Okay. When I got him from the shelter, they said he's a short-haired cat. I don't fully believe that because so many of his hairs are strangely long and almost medium hair-ish. So he's a weird combination. He might be part Maine Coon, quite frankly. That would not surprise me if it was like somewhere far back. Because if you ever see a picture of him, he is huge. He is a massive cat. He's a healthy 14 pounds, which for Ooh. a short haired is massive. So I do think that he has one of the like massive cats somewhere in the lineage. That's, Who knows where?
3: Yeah. That's almost like ragdoll size. So we've got a ragdoll here that we had to mm-hmm. save for my friend because it was fighting with her her toddler. So we had to go, no, no, no. Come, on, <laughs> come and live with us. So... But those kind of bigger cats are a little bit different from the Moggies in that they're so people centric. So our cat has an opinion on where we should be. If you stay up past when you normally go to bed, there's a meow for, for coming. You're meant to be in bed now. When the alarms go off, he goes around and he'll actually tap my wife's phone to turn it off. And he'll go into the kid's room like meowing, just like, hey, you're all meant to be up now. Like those cats are so much more people centric.
0: It's a huge thing. Uh, We have a schedule that's built around what he wants to do. You know, we get up at that specific time because that works for him. I do content creation based around when his nap time is going to be. It's great. He has the left side of the bed is his. I I can't sleep on that side. I'm not allowed to sleep on that side. I don't even try at this point. That is his side of the bed. And that's okay. It works for us. Yeah, you know, the, I-, I will say, though, okay, see this vision with me, everybody, Okay. I want him to have a cat bed, right? Like He has a million of them, but I want him to have this very specific cat bed. I'm searching for a Formula One car-shaped cat bed. Nice. Preferably, obviously it needs to be quite big because, again, (laughs) 14 pounds. He's a big boy. And preferably with the Max Verstappen livery because this cat is a Max Verstappen fan. How do I know this? He will actively, whenever I have a race playing, go up and smack the screen of any car that is not Max Verstappen's. He knows. I don't know how he knows. He's weirdly smart, which, you know, blessing and a curse, but that's what I'm searching for. If anybody knows of somewhere, someone that makes these things... Let me know because I'm, I'm actively searching I'm
3: for it. I'm glad we got this bit in first because we're about to talk about how brilliant Christina is. I just also <laughs> wanted you to know that she's she's nuts as well. I wanted to establish that and oh, get yeah. that out of the way. So I would judge you about the bed thing. But sometimes like my my, my ragdoll loves to sleep in my sim rig. So I go, oh, I need to get some racing laps in for tonight, tonight's tournament. And I look across and I go, nope, nope. Got to wait for a little while. Won't Won't, won't make it just yet. But. You are, and this is where we, we saw you and invited you to be on Mistapex, you, you do some absolutely brilliant TikTok creation. Now, I'm actually a big fan of of the TikTok as a platform because it's invited so many people who wouldn't ordinarily have a platform to just go and do it. Just go and do it and just let the quality rise to the top. I think it's one of the mer- most meritocratious uh, platforms out there. And, uh, you know, obviously it gets a lot of Stick because there is an awful lot of trash out there, especially in the motorsport space. But the the good content creators who actually have something to say have risen to the top. Now you have a, a great following on there. Um, and firstly, I'm just you know, if you don't go and see, haven't seen Christina's TikToks yet, go and look in the show notes below because they are digestible. I think it's fair to say aimed at perhaps you know not people who've been watching since 1980 initially, but you you helped a you know a generation of fans you know come along and get caught up.
0: Pretty much, the the big goal is to make any information accessible and digestible. I want it every video to be. They're all under three minutes for the most part, and most of it is you know explaining rules, regulations, making it really easy to find that information. But also, I know I understand science and tech a lot better than a number of other people would. I have a science degree, Whoa. and that means
3: <laughs> what's that? What's your science degree in?
0: Uh, geographical sciences. So I studied microclimates specifically. Blimey.
3: Like, okay, I assumed yeah. you were smart, but how come that, that? See, in a way, with the Miss Apex people, I know that they all have like jobs, but I never want to think of Alex as a salesman or Kyle as an engineer. I just think of them as, you know, the e expert or the, the tech person. So I'd managed to be doing stuff with you this whole time, and I didn't know you had a climate science degree. Like, that's mega smart.
0: It's it's quite smart. Um, yeah, I, I had a really great time. I did a thesis and directed studies on restoring bogs and their greenhouse gas emissions and how they differ. And the big important part of that is that they can be a carbon sink, which is really helpful when you're trying to mitigate carbon emissions. Bogs, so, bogs,
3: bogs. Is that like where peat comes from?
0: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, so did a lot w- of cool work there.
3: I saw people have done a lot of work up in the Hebrides. And the out, out Hebrides and, and watched people, you know, watched Angus sitting there cutting out chunks of peat out of the side of the the earth.
0: Studying the actual peat was not my job, so even though I spent a whole bunch of time walking on top of it, uh, that wasn't really what I was concerned with. The thing with scientists is that are we smart? Yeah, but we're very niche smart. Oh. You know, a lot about the one thing, yeah, yeah, and yeah, the yeah, one yeah, thing yeah. I know about is the gases that are coming out of the ground. I don't know that much about the ground itself. Having the science degree means that I feel like I'm quite good at translating. So I know when a science person is using that very exclusive vocabulary that they need to have in order to study something. And you get all of these people who know a lot about aerodynamics and engineering, and they use that very specific vocabulary that is not accessible to the average everyday person. So a lot of what my videos are doing is just taking that one specific term and not actually using it but using every other word you can that's in everyone's in everyone's everyday vocabulary and explaining it that way instead, the point is for it to be accessible. You don't need to have that specific depth of knowledge. And a lot of the times as well, people will give you too much information because they're excited about science and tech and they want to tell you everything and anything. And it's like, nope, if they want to know what G-force is, literally tell, them, tell it to them in two lines and mm. then give an example and that's it. So that's the goal, is not overcomplicating it and not using specific language and making it just very simple and easy to understand. Don't overwhelm people until they want to be overwhelmed.
3: Uh, no one was thinking Matthew Summerfield. <laughs> yes, we were. Well, okay, but Matthew Summerfield, he's you know, a classic with that. And so that Matthew Summerfield isn't on TikTok doing what you're doing. He writes his articles, but you know he also speaks to idiots like me and Matt, who can then kind of go, hey, whoa, I don't understand that. So basically you're... Matthew Summerfield and Spanners combined. You're like a utility uh, F1 communication device. And one of the things that really stuck out watching your TikToks is your diction. You have this just incredible diction where every word is clear. It's concise. The word is shaped. And it's something, you know, that I'm, I'm actually very jealous of when I watch your content. But then you told me it's because you have a little bit of an acting background. Acting! background as well. What can you tell me about that?
0: Well, started acting pretty much as soon as my mom realized that I was a little bit of an attention-seeking child. I used to cry when I wasn't the center of the universe. It was a thing. So we channeled that in a healthy way (sighs) with acting classes, which then evolved into doing a whole theater degree theater and film, performance and production, which is very useful when you're doing content creation because you're in front of the camera and you also don't need somebody to edit your things. So very, very useful in that aspect to pivot it to content creation. Also, just I think when you're an actor, you're also very good at putting energy in front of a camera or on a microphone. You understand that difference between the mediums that you're performing for, which makes a huge difference. I I look at a couple of other content creators that are on TikTok that are extremely popular. The number of them that have those performance degrees or training is notable.
3: It, is, it is a trend. Yeah, because you understand that there's a relationship with whatever medium you're going out. So if it's the edge of the stage, that's the medium that you're you're doing everything at the the microphone or the or the camera yeah that's interesting I've not really thought of that but I think there's a lot of people who are actors who who might have ended up here as a presenter in another life and the other way around you know I in another life I would have done a bit more amateur dramatics and taken on some roles it's a it's a bit of a regret actually I've got I still have it in my head that there's a chance that I there might be a Hollywood call up you know and I don't want much you know I could be the guy. Who's the main guy's best friend? Shows the photograph and says, oh, "I can't wait till I get back home to 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 Guinevere. We're going to start a farm, and then get killed in the next scene." That's that would make me happy. But for you, is there a realistic is there a realistic possibility? Because I sort of you can't tell people what you're up to over the next year. But does that mean that you're are you parking the ambitions to one day be the next Scarlett Johansson?
0: I really like acting. I think it is incredibly fun, but it's also an incredibly competitive and strange environment to work in. And it is about timing a lot. So, in my case, what's happening with the timing is that we had the actor strikes last year, which, even though they were in the States and I'm in Canada, that meant that I couldn't do any work. The majority of the productions that come up to Canada to work in Vancouver are from the States, they're from American production companies, which is a whole other tangent and rant that quite frankly, I could go on. And maybe one day I will. But for now, what ended up happening with that strike is I ended up with a lot of free time, put so much energy into content creation, and now the ball is rolling on this. And it scratches that performance itch in a different way, but it still scratches it and it makes me incredibly happy. So while I will still be pursuing acting and doing some things with it, Right now, my full-time kind of idea is with content creation, and I'm okay with that. I do I do kind of have the pipe dream of one day being in the paddock at the same time as, say, I don't know, Tom Cruise, because I may or may not absolutely love Top Gun and may or may not have seen <laughs> Top Gun Maverick in theaters 14 times, and I may or may not have my own race suit, uh, flight suit. Sorry. I've got all of those things. So if one day I happen to be in the paddock at the same time as Tom Cruise... No, without a doubt that I will go up to him and be like, sir, can I please just like stand in the background and be an extra? Like, like, what do I have to do in order for that to happen? Because, please.
3: <laughs> so it's still it's still there. I, I'm hoping personally that you'll <laughs> yeah. end up being far too busy uh, doing F1 stuff to, to be able to do all of that. And so I, I, I am urging people to get your criminally underfollowed on Twitter. So uh, what's your Twitter handle, Christina?
0: Christina Lee Mace.
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't like people with two surnames. Is it like a gap or is it a hyphen?
0: It's neither. So I go by Christina Lee Mays because, as an actor, this goes back to this. In <sighs> order to be parts of a union, you have to have a unique stage name that nobody else is using. And so I figured, in order to be safe, I will use the middle name as well. So it's Lee is my middle name. It's i I'm using it all because. Then I'm more protected in the union from having my identity swiped out from me. Yeah,
3: I'm a bit worried there might be another spanners uh, with a, a, S- a screen actors guild membership, so I might have to think about that as well. Uh, Christina Lee Mace, it's been fantastic to to meet you uh, properly here on the panel in the meet the panel segment. Go and follow her; the social media will all be down there. Check out some some tip, TikToks. Don't don't be a snob a snob. And I I, I have to say. There has been snobbery, hasn't there, towards TikTok creators in the old guard world, but they're just they're just wrong. If anything, the good TikTokers have had to face way more competition than, you know, idiot content creators like me.
0: It's definitely a a very competitive world out there, but it's okay. Competition makes you better. There's no point in being the best if you're only beating other people who are mediocre. So it makes me very happy that there's other excellent content creators out there because it, it keeps things interesting. It makes it more fun.
3: Pressure makes diamonds. Thank you very much, Christina. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much to, for listening to us. We are going to get into proper preseason content soon. The time is nearly nigh. Follow me as well. I'm the best one. At Spanners Ready. Consider following us on Patreon and supporting us there. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex but until we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was Missed Apex podcast